Good morning. Uh, if you haven't said enough, good morning. Good. Uh, <clears throat> I'm Trey. I am one of your pastors here at Redemption Church, Arcadia. We here are gospel-centered, outward-focused, and we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. We seek to embody the gospel in all of life. We seek to embody it, to the incarnation. We're talking about that last few weeks. To embody the gospel in all of life in the Arcadia area. So this morning, before we jump in, I have two announcements I want to bring us through. The first is um, December 31st is New Year's Eve. If you've heard the uh, uh, Joseph Gordon, love it, and um, Zoe Deschanel version of What Are You Doing New Year's Eve, you can now have an answer to that song. And that's, you're going to be here because we're doing a prayer walk on New Year's Eve, uh, December 31st. And, uh, gosh, that didn't land nearly. Maybe it was my delivery. Um, but uh, we're going to be here. We're going to walk around. We're going to pray. It's going to be wonderful. How often do we as a church body get to just get together and pray over the space that God's gifted us um, to be a sacred spot for this area? So join us for that. And then after at 10, we're going to have one service. It's just one giant family service. It's going to be great. Um, and I'm sure that... Uh, well, it's not a Cozy's thing, so don't come in your pajamas. But we've done in the past where we did like a New Year's Day that was Cozy's, so don't mix that up. <laughs> Some of us came, I don't know, if, how many years ago was that that we did that? It was a while ago. But we came in pajamas. and well, if, Don't do that this time, okay? I mean, if you want to, come as you are. I don't know. So the next thing is uh, 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 winter camp, not summer camp. Winter camp's coming up for youth. This is six, well, for us, it's sixth grade. We'll talk about that later. But sixth grade through 12th grade, and uh, we're going to end up going up to Lost Canyon, which is, of course, the best camp on the whole planet. And uh, it's more like a lodge that's, like, really high-end. And if you've never been, wow. Uh, I grew up going here. Going there, I watched it change. It's a really cool spot. But January 19th through the 21st, and uh, right now, uh, to go, it's just 225 per kid. It's going to go up to 275 on the 7th. So let's get on that quick. But um, if you are not going because you're an adult or something, pray for us. Uh, camp is great. It's a wonderful ministry. I love it. I've been a part of it for a long time. Um, pray for us. Pray for Emmett. Pray for our team. And pray for redemption as a whole. Um, yeah, so that is our announcements. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Today's reading is coming from Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks be to God. Okay, let me pray. Heavenly Father, anoint me this morning. I pray that you would use me as your vessel to speak your word to your people. Help me get out of the way. Um, Help me point to Jesus well. I pray that you would use this time to sharpen us as your people. And I pray that we would be comforted and convicted and melted and changed by your word. Spirit, I pray for your power to move. I pray that you would soften hearts. Um, And ultimately, Lord, help help me to do justice to this word you've given us. The way that you've revealed yourself to us. Help me not treat this excellent matter in any defective way. And Lord, as we worship through hearing your word preached, I pray that you would bring fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this sermon is going to look a little different than maybe some other sermons I've done. We're going to start with, well, if you know, we've been going through the Trinity in our Advent series. Because when you have a count of three in the church, it has to be something related to the Trinity. So we're doing, that was, that was funny. Okay. For the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is what we're going through in our Advent series. And we're talking about specifically the incarnation. So in, in Advent, which means coming, we're celebrating and looking back to the time that Jesus came. And we're looking forward to the time he'll come again. And so we've been talking about how the incarnation or Jesus coming in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son, was a Trinitarian act. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit did that together. We're going to talk about that. We're going to go through specifically the person of the Spirit. We're going to talk a little bit of that. We're going to talk about His ministry. What does the Spirit do? Because we know that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are especially given and attributed ministries, and yet they always act together. So it's always all of them. And then we're going to go through history on the ministry of the Spirit and then talk about that today as well. And we're going to, I'm going to focus a lot on the text we're in today, but I'm also going to be going between some other texts that are right around this. So we're mainly going to be in Luke 1, but I'll use a few other texts as it's pertinent to what we're talking about in this text here. Um, since the beginning, since the very beginning, the Spirit has had the job of pointing to Jesus. Pointing to Jesus and um, he has done this since the beginning, pointed to Jesus, and ultimately this has led to him using people. Through the brokenness of the world, Jesus has come and brought that um, life. So since the beginning, the Spirit has worked to glorify the Son, and he often uses people. And his presence brings blessing, order, and power. To glorify the Son. So the Spirit's job is to glorify the Son. 
And when he comes to do his thing, he uses people. And every time his presence is there, it brings blessing, order, and power. I'm going to start with a quote with John Piper. He said, Oh, how favored we are as a people to be living in the age of the Spirit. Spread out for us all to see and to marvel at is the history of revelation of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How thankful we should be that we were born, owing to no virtue in us whatsoever, in a day when the fullness of God's nature as three in one has been revealed and when the various ministries of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been displayed and offered for our experience. Surely everyone who loves God will be earnestly seeking to know and experience as much of God as possible. And in our day, that means especially as much of the Holy Spirit as possible. Surely everyone who loves God will be earnestly seeking to know and experience as much of God as possible. We study God. Because we love God. We study how he's revealed himself to us. Because we love him. And he's chosen to reveal himself through the scriptures, through speaking through people. And so then we become students of the word. If you're married. And you're not a student of your spouse. You don't study your spouse. You are stupid. If you are married and you want to faithfully love your spouse, you study them. You know them. You learn from them. Why? If you read chapter 5 in uh, Meaning of Marriage, it talks about how you married a stranger. Every five years, psychologically, you change become a different person. So if you're married to somebody for 25 years, you've been married psychologically to five different people. It's important that you as a spouse study your partner. Now, here's the difference with God. He doesn't change, but he is infinite. You will never stop learning about God. So we study it. So why would we take the time to go through one of the easiest concepts to understand, the Trinity, during Advent? That was also a joke. Guys, we are, what are we doing this morning? The Trinity is not an easy thing to understand. Okay, we're going through the Trinity, though, because that's how God's revealed himself. And we love God, and so we study God, and we study God and embrace God. The only way you can accurately and well embrace God, which is through His Word. Not through what somebody just came up with or wants to think. We're going through His Word, and how He's revealed Himself is as the Trinity. So we worship a Trinitarian God. That is, one God existing as three persons. Now, the temptation is to try and find an analogy of humanity or of the world to help us understand that. Don't. He's not an egg that has a shell and a yolk and a white. No. He's not different views of Camelback Mountain. If you look from this side, he looks like this. If you look, no. Don't try and, and describe the Trinity in a way that Scripture doesn't give. In fact, if you look at all the heresies of church history, every single one was fundamentally misunderstanding the Trinity. If we say we worship Christ, we have to know who it is we're worshiping. Let's make sure we're not using the wrong dictionary, even though we're using the right word. Do you know what I'm saying? We want to make sure we know what we're saying when we say, I worship, I am with Christ. And who is that? That is Christ, one of the Godhead, fully God, fully human. So we worship a Trinitarian God. 
If you ever have to ask the question, who done it? Was that the Spirit? Who done it? Was that Jesus? Was that the Father? The answer is always all three. They always work in unison. And throughout the whole Bible, the Trinity has increasingly revealed himself through the different eras of salvation in unity. But there's been one event that although all three persons acted as one God, only one person of the Trinity took on a new nature. As a bride has her mother and her sister help her put on her wedding dress, the eternal Father and the eternal Son helped the, uh, the eternal Father and the eternal Spirit helped the eternal Son put on flesh. All three persons have been present and active throughout history, culminating in this crescendo of God revealing Himself. In the incarnation, the word incarnation means in the flesh, carne, carne, carne asada, right? So everybody's going to go out later, get some breakfast tacos, carne asada, incarnation. It's God with us in the flesh. So we're talking today about the Holy Spirit, and it's important that we know this. He is not a movement. He is not simply an impersonable force. He is a person of the triune Godhead. He's a person. So don't believe any of this nonsense when people are like, oh, the Holy Spirit's just a movement or any of that. No, that's heresy. That's wrong. God, the Holy Spirit, is a person of the triune Godhead. And many of us would sit here and say, man, the greatest miracle of all is that Jesus could be on the cross, die substitutionary atonement, that you and I could taste life. He tasted death so that we could taste life. He tasted wrath so that we would never have to. And then he resurrected, came back from the dead. Some of us would say, man, that's crazy. It is crazy. But listen to the logic here. God is a God who creates, and he created everything. Created everything. He created how everything operates. Now, sin or death is the deprivation or privation of proper working. So you can't have sin without the distortion of something that was originally good. Sort of like cold. It's not an actual thing. It's the absence of heat. So when we think about specifically uh, the resurrection, God is recreating what was already something he created and then was broken. So he's the engineer that just did his thing again. So we're like, man, it is crazy, but man, God does that. Now here's, I'm going to pose something a little bit crazier. The unchangeable, infinite, timeless God takes on a new nature and changes. Not in character, not in mind, but the second person of the Trinity took on flesh a new nature. He never ungodded himself. At every moment of Jesus' human life, he was still always divine. So he's 100% God and he's 100% Man after the incarnation. That is the craziest miracle that could have ever happened. No other faith in the whole wide world has the deity, God, taking on limitations, this is Philippians 2, and humbling himself and basically going in front of and taking this wicked, broken people and fixing them. This is unreal that God would know limitation and change. The eternal son, also called the word, became human and exists right now. So Jesus still has a human body. 
And that human body, get this, has scars. They're healed, but he's got scars. Many of us are sitting in here thinking, man, I suffer a lot. Is it worth anything? Is it just forgotten? Some of us are saying, I wish it would just be removed. When I get to heaven, it'll be removed. I'm here to tell you something. Jesus' scars are proof to you that he will not remove scars, but he will redeem them, which is so much sweeter. It's not an invalidation that the suffering that you have actually produces something of eternal weight and value. This is 1 Corinthians. Eternal weight of glory. So your suffering today is never worth nothing. The thing is, though, there's something sweeter than having it removed. It's that Jesus will redeem it and make it right. That is good news. For those who are in Christ, you're going to experience what he promises is an eternal life. And that eternal life is the making right of all things that were broken. If you don't have faith in Christ, you will not experience that. I was talking with a friend recently, and he's totally right. A lot of people believe in justification by death. Well, I was a good enough person. No, you're never a good enough person. I'm telling you right now, the only way to have eternal life is in faith in Christ alone. Nothing else will do it. Now, the Spirit has a specific job in this, and he always points to the Son. But I want to talk about these scars a little bit more. Why is it important that Jesus would have scars? Why is it important? I think it's because we need the proof that redeeming our suffering, that beautiful thing he will do, was him taking his own medicine. He lived through the Genesis 3 curse for you. And when you have scars, whether you see them or you don't, whether you thought you were beautiful before them or not, so this is why I think there's, you have to have tattoos in heaven because they're scars. But just, I mean, I'm, like another joke. Tyler talked about there being a tattoo parlor, so naturally. Um, but, amen, he says. Uh, those scars, now take this, this is important. Whether you see them or not, those scars that you have make you like Jesus. In the way that he came and lived under the Genesis 3 curse, but there's one difference. We don't have a high priest, a great high priest with an eternal reign. We don't have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. Hebrews 4.12. He was tempted in all the ways that we were, yet without sin. So Jesus came and lived under the curse, but did it right. In the way that humanity couldn't do it, but Jesus, being God, also was able to do it. So when we share our scars and their stories in the New Jerusalem... They will all end with the happily ever after of Jesus redeeming those scars and giving them purpose. Paul even calls his scars, and he says, I bear these marks of Jesus. The neat thing about this is we're looking at the incarnation. The whole Advent is us looking back at Jesus who came, and he's coming again. And when we look at the Jesus who came, we realize he's so much more personal, personable and personal, so much more close And it's not a God who fixes things at afar, but someone who comes. This is John 1. uh, But he dwelled among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Advent is us celebrating this. Looking back, looking forward. Because God became man, experienced the the curse of Genesis 3, redeemed the suffering of man, and redeemed man to God. 
And the Holy Spirit shares in the ministry of redemption and recreation. And he has actively moved in this since the beginning. And is especially attributed with the Trinitarian act of carrying the eternal son to the womb of Mary. Mothers, you image the Holy Spirit. You image God with your nurturing heart to carry a baby in you. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is the mother of the triune God. Okay, Holy Spirit given male pronouns, but I am saying that both man and women were made in the image of God, and women, even in the curse, you image God when you carry a baby, and that is a beautiful thing. So, in this act, the Spirit's presence brought blessing, order, and power. We're going to go back to the text. Let's look at Luke 1, 28 and 30. We just read this. We'll read it again. It says, And he came to her, this is the angel, Greetings, O favored one, The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found again, a second time, favor with God. Blessing is favor from God or an active favor from God. The Holy Spirit's presence always brings blessing. This is like your favorite person in the world. Every time you're around them, they make your face light up. The presence of the Spirit always brings blessing. And some people would say that getting pregnant was not a blessing. Some people would say having to bear a, the weight of a baby in you, having all the changes to your body, now getting a new, few new scars and all of this, being super young, not yet married, Right? People could do math in the first century, people. And they're like, when did you get married here? It seems like that wouldn't be a blessing. Can you put yourself in the shoes of Mary? The order of your life seems like it's being uprooted. The life is changing. I don't know if you have kids. I have a couple. I'll tell you. When you have kids, it changes everything. You no longer just get to go to bed. Okay? You no longer just get to sleep. Everything changes. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Yes. But also, it hijacks your whole life. And Mary, how does she respond? She's like, oh, no. You can't. Don't give me a baby yet. I'm not married. Just wait until. Does she try to barter with God? Does she try to say, no, no, let me, I can fix this. I can do better than you, which is literally what we do all the time. We're like, God, yes, I want your help, but let me give you some input on how I want your help. Right? <laughs> We're ridiculous. What does she do? She says, let's do it how you want to do it. Exactly what you said? Cool. I know I'm not married yet? Cool. I don't know how Joseph is going to take this, but I have faith. Can you imagine being there? Gospel work, though, always pays it forward, and blessings are given so that you can bless. So Mary wasn't just blessed with a baby. Cool, she got a baby. We read about the Bible, and people were blessed with babies. No. She was given the baby who would come and redeem mankind. So she went through birth so you could have Jesus. That's pretty dang cool. She's willing to go through the pain, being looked down on by people, totally changing her life. She was favored by God, so God blessed her by giving her a baby to birth. She was blessed to be a blessing. Birth is painful. I've heard. People could do math in the first century, like I said, and I can just imagine how family members were. 
Um, my family, I'm going to be transparent here, me and my sister are the first ones to get out of high school not pregnant from my parents, my parents' parents, and their parents, okay? We, we get them quick, very fertile, I guess. Um, but I can just imagine, and it's close to me because I've been around this, and I've, you know, been a part of, at times, ministries that did with teen pregnancy. They're, like, ostracized, you know? And I can just imagine Mary taking this and being like, man, this is going to be tough, but let's do it. The blessing came in a way that seemed like it would not be a blessing. When the Spirit comes upon you and blesses you in your life to the point, to point to Jesus, because that's the point. Not you feeling like you've been blessed, but you pointing to Jesus. It may be painful, it may be ostracizing, and it may totally take over your life, but it will be eternally worth it. It will be eternally worth it. Having children totally changes your life, your body, the friends you have around you, your schedule, your sleep, your sanity. And the Lord might might call you to something like that. And that would be good. Since the beginning, the Spirit has been glorifying the Son, and His presence brings order. Look back at Luke 1, 32 and 33. It says, He will be great, Jesus will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So Jesus comes, and when the Spirit brings his presence, this time he brings an order that brought uh, the eternal kingship of God that will never be undone. But he now brings the new heavenly order, which totally upsets the human order. The Spirit brings the Son and restores order to God's people. I was at a wedding yesterday and somebody asked me, because they were just back home, they were out of town and they, their father had passed away, he was older in years, and uh, she's like, hey, do you do funerals? Like, what do you tell people like, when they're on their deathbed and stuff like that? And I'm like, easy question. Again, that was sarcasm, people. Not an easy question. I've done this. I've been with family members who didn't die well. They really didn't want to die. They wanted to fight and they wanted to survive. And that's, I mean, there were fighters and survivors. I've also been with family members and people in our church who did die well. And they accepted it. But they knew, just like you and me, we don't get out of this without death. You might think you're the exception to the rule. Like you're the Elijah or you're the... uh, person who doesn't have to, you know, you get to go up in like a whirlwind of fire and chariots and all that sort of thing. I'm telling you right now, I'm probably not, okay? So I'm, there's going to be a day that I die. It might be 20 years from now, could be tomorrow, could be that I make it to 85, which would be a good long life. But I'm not taking anything with me. And contrary to popular belief, I can't take hope in leaving anything either. Well, you leave a legacy. You leave your DNA. Do you know your grandfather's 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 grandfather? How long will it take when I'm gone? I will be totally forgotten. You, sorry to burst your bubble, will die and have to pay taxes, sorry, and there will be a time after you die, you'll be forgotten. Your kingdom will not last forever. Your 
getting established with your family, getting established with your finances, getting established with your job and career. I mean, you can be in business. If you make a great deal, nobody's talking about it in a year. It doesn't live forever. Only Jesus's kingdom lives forever. Which basket are you putting all your eggs in? What gets your life? Because your life is going to end. Yet he who dies in Christ, yet he lives, though he dies. That's pretty neat, too. And those in Christ don't have to do it alone. Not one thing do you do alone. People say you're going to die alone. Not with Christ. Every step of the way. And the moment that you close your eyes and he takes you, you're with him. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't do that half in, half out stuff. He's the cornerstone. And the cornerstone goes on one place in your house. One place. And that's the first thing. If you try to make it on the roof because you've already built some of your house, it will crush the rest of your house. Jesus wants one spot in your life and will only accept that. And that's the first thing, the only thing. And everything else has to be built on it and in a complementary fashion with that cornerstone. Doesn't fit with Jesus? Get it rid of it. So, death. You will get there one day. Now, how can I say with total peace and joy that I'll be forgotten and that I have to pay taxes? I don't have peace and joy about the taxes part because death and taxes, right? But I will, how do I have total peace and joy in that? My eggs are in the basket of Christ's kingdom. I don't care that I'm forgotten. I care that he's glorified. That's what my life is about. That's what our life in Christ should be about. I don't do it perfectly. Some of you probably do a lot better than I do. But in reality, that's what we're made for. And when the Spirit fills you, which you have to have the Spirit to have faith, when the Spirit comes and resides in you, that's your life. You can't help it. Some other people did the same thing. Um, We're going to look at John in a moment and talk about him. But before we get there... I just want to belabor this point a little. Um, When you come to Christ and the Spirit is in you, it's not like it just adds something to your life. Your whole life now has an internal mindset that there's going to be a day I close my eyes and I open my eyes and I'm with Christ. I'm looking at Him face to face. And Scripture tells me that I'll look like Him. There's going to be a time where He comes back and He raises the dead and the living. And there's only two options. I don't care what anybody says. You can't be half in, half out. You can't be, it's, there's two options. And because I love you, I'm telling you this. If you don't make Christ the center of your life and repent from sin and turn towards, this is repentance, turn towards Christ, you don't get that eternal life. It is only in Christ alone. You have to give him all of you. And so what does that mean? What does that mean? We're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but the Spirit's ministry, when He's around, you'll know it because it always points to Christ. So, uh, the Spirit, though, since the beginning, has been doing this and bringing order. If you, um, in my Hebrew class, we had to memorize Genesis 1, 1 through 5 in Hebrew, which I'm not going to recite right now, but... um, in Hebrew, when you look at it, it's pretty neat because when the Spirit's hovering over the face of the waters in the creation, right? God created the heavens and the earth and the Spirit's hovering. First, it says that the, the earth was formless and void. 
And it describes the waters as chaotic. The word that's used is chaotic waters. And then the Spirit comes and hovers over it. And then it says, and the Spirit was hovering over the face of the still water. The Spirit's presence brings order. So when the Spirit comes upon you, He brings you blessing and He brings order. But hear me, your order and His order won't always add up. Sometimes, oftentimes, His divine order will upset the human order. Jesus came and did that often through His ministry. So that word that's used for spirit is called ruach, and um, it's like you got phlegm in the back of your throat. Uh, and it means spirit or breath or wind. And in John 1.1, 1, 1, we have in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So both the breath of God and the word of God were there at creation. The agents of creation brought order and formed existence. But with Mary... It seemed like that disorder like we were talking about. Betrothed to a man, not yet married, conceived a child. Sometimes to bring the divine order, God upsets the human order. We, this is always still good news. And the Spirit also brings power. So He brings blessing, He brings order, and He brings power. And that with Mary was a virgin conception. Three important things I want to bring up from the conception. Conception. You will conceive in your womb. Three things. At that point, Jesus was God in the flesh at conception. Not when he was born. Not when he was 12 weeks old in the womb. At the point of conception, Jesus' human life started. And he, at that moment, was still needing his mom's and his humanity, sustaining power to keep him alive. And in his divinity, he's sustaining his mom's life. And he's holding both of those. He's a little bit older, and he's like eating from mom, and mom is sustaining him with her life. And yet, he's still in his divinity, is sustaining the whole universe and his mom to do that to begin with. He never ungodded himself. The second, so there's the first thing is that it began at conception. He's uh, needing his mother to sustain his life, but also. He is in his divinity simultaneously sustaining his mother's life. And then third, he is the first to be reborn by the Spirit. So if you read theology textbooks, what you'll find is that there's two begottens or two, two um, or begettings, two births of Jesus. There's the eternal birthing that Jesus proceeds from the Father. So he's eternally birthed from the Father. There's never a time that God existed without it being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the way that Scripture is revealed to us is it says that he proceeds from the Father. And then he's also born by the Spirit through Mary. So he's the first to be reborn by the Spirit. And Jesus says, for you to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. It's kind of neat. Again, anytime he calls you to something, he does it. But even in the womb, Jesus' life was precious, and the Spirit also uses John as a vessel, John, John the Baptist as a vessel, to identify the Messiah even when he was in the womb. If you look back and flip one page to the left, Luke uh, 1, 14 and 15, it says this about John the Baptist as the angel speaking. It says, You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at John's birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And later we find out 
that he was used as a vessel to point to Jesus when Mary, while pregnant with Jesus, comes and sees Elizabeth pregnant with John, and John leaps in the womb. Even as a fetus, the Holy Spirit is using a baby to point to Christ. Because the Spirit's job is to point to the Son, to glorify the Son. And when He fills you, He brings blessing, order, and power, but it's always to point to the Son. If you keep reading and look at uh, verse 16, this is what He did with John in the life of His ministry. And John will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That word turn, that's where we get repent from. Repent means turn. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So when the spirit fills you, that's what he does with you. John's ministry was baptism of forgiveness of sins, to repent, turn towards God, repent of your sins. And that is the same ministry that you and I are called to. To prepare for God a holy people. That's our mission that we've been commissioned to. Like John. But the Spirit always points to the Son and He uses people to do it. The Spirit did not just fill and use John. But He also used a bunch of prophets from the Old Testament. Remember I said we were going to look at how the history of how the Spirit's ministries worked. So every time the Spirit fell upon somebody to fill them, he generously bestowed this power. And it was always to point to Jesus. We have Joseph, and he was given the power to interpret dreams. And ultimately, Joseph ends up uh, saving the known world from famine and feeds starving people and gives them life. And points, even in his life, the Spirit knew this would happen later, points even in his life to Jesus to come, who with his own self would give the bread of life to a starving people and give them life. You've got Bezalel, which you're like, that's a cool name. It is a cool name. Guy in the Old Testament, he's filled with the Spirit to craft the Ark of the Covenant and make this beautiful dwelling place in the tent of meeting, dwelling place of the Lord's presence. And Jesus comes and embodies that. A beautiful place for the Lord to dwell. And then he says, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. He brought it back resurrected. You've got King Saul, who's the first king for God's people. Although he didn't do everything right, he was given the power to prophesy after his anointing. He's prophesying with a bunch of people. They're like, what in the world? But he points to the perfect king of Israel, the last king of God's people. And his rule won't end. King David This guy was filled with the Spirit and could play, like, so he was used for King Saul to play the demons away with the harp. That guy must have been so good at it. He also was a warrior that went in front of his army to fight. Just like Christ would go in front of us and defeat our enemies of sin and death. The Spirit uses Isaiah to point to Jesus with uh, Isaiah 61. He says to bring good news to the poor And he prophesies this. And then Jesus quotes him in Luke 4. And he says, if you flip to the right a little, I can read it for you, what Jesus says. He's quoting Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Isaiah points to, he didn't even know it when he was prophesying that, but Jesus would quote him. And then you have Ezekiel. I'm picking everybody in the Old Testament, and there's ways that you can find, it's called typology, you find the type of Jesus. I'm stopping at Ezekiel, but Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 37, you should definitely read this, he looks out and he sees a bunch of bones of dead people. And God says, prophesy. So he says that he prophesies that the breath of life, also remember breath, ruach, spirit, would bring life to them. And he sees from giving them the breath of life, them breathe in. All the muscles and sinews come together and life is had from a dead people. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And in the same way that Jesus calls out to Lazarus, get up, Jesus says it to you by the hearing of his word when you come to faith. He says, get up. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. And Ezekiel pointed forward to Jesus who was to come, who would give us life and call us into life. The Spirit glorifies the Son through people. And those people were the prophets, they were Mary, John the Baptist, and now it's you and I, the church. The Spirit of God's given three job description, three things in his job description in John 16. To convict the world concerning sin and judgment. To reveal the truth and to glorify the Son. Do you want to know if it's the Spirit doing something? I have a really easy way to discern it. Does it point to Jesus? Because the Spirit doesn't just come and fill some up and give them power so that they can get eyes on them. So that some person can say, look at how spiritually mature I am because the Spirit uses me in this way. He really listens to my prayer. Every time the Spirit comes... He does give blessing and honor and order and power, and yet it's always for the purpose of pointing to the Son. It's always been the Spirit's job to glorify Jesus, and He uses people to do it. Now, I'm going to step away, I'm going to talk a little bit about humanity. The only creature in all creation that wasn't just created by God saying, let there be, but He formed from the earth and then also breathed life into was man. And every breath that we take points back to that moment when the Spirit of God filled the nostrils of Adam. And then that same breath that gave life and soul and existence was passed down to you. And that's a huge blessing. But we're also looking forward that Christ who came made it to where when the Spirit gives that new breath in you, it gives you a new life. But every breath that you take that points back, that same breath gives life to bones in Ezekiel 37. That same wind carried the eternal word into human life. And that same spirit animates spiritually dead people today through the hearing of God's word. And he continues the ministry today using those who have faith in Jesus to preach God's word, to pray God's will, and to live God's way. Through the spirit... God now lives in us to bring good news to the poor and to make ready a people of God for his next return. Let me read again what John's job was and how the Spirit used John because that's how he's using us. And he will turn many of the children of God to the Lord their God, children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the Spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. If this breath of life has been breathed into you, it doesn't stop at life alone. 
it always goes towards mission. Yes, you're given life, but you've been blessed to be a blessing. It doesn't stop at you. So, if you are a Christian, you have to live on mission, and that's to proclaim God's word to everyone, pray God's will without ceasing, and live God's way, that your life may point to Christ. And let me tell you this, this is a little shocking, but I'm going to say it because I think it's true. Satan's totally satisfied with your religious practices and your Christmas festivities as long as they keep you pacified and not living the mission that Christ has for you. Or even I'll go a step further. Keep you pacified with you thinking that Jesus can be a cornerstone on the roof of your house. So this Christmas... Let's celebrate Christ's coming. Let's drink eggnog and hot chocolate to the glory of the Lord. Let's sing carols. Let's sit in delight about all God has done to redeem us and and our suffering. And let's teach these things to our kids. Many of us would love to have the Spirit's blessing, order, and power, but we want it our way. We're unwilling to let our human order be upset. And the fear of man is keeping us from being like Mary, who said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Not to her word, to your word. God, do whatever you got to do and change whatever you need to change. It's a good little self-evaluation. Can you pray that prayer? Can you pray the prayer in Psalm 139, 23, and 24? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Dangerous, right? Because he'll do it. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Don't let me be complacent in my sin. Don't let me be complacent not living on mission the way that you've called me to do it. If the Spirit's in you, he'll do that. Are you at the place where you're actually ready to pray that prayer? And totally uproot your life if, it, if he calls you to it. The Spirit has always been pointing to Jesus and using people to do it. And right now, he might be weighing on you. I have a few things I'm going to say about it in closing. And then I'll read John 14, 15, and 18 about Jesus promising the helper to us. But what is it the Spirit could be impressing on you in order to glorify Jesus? Because it's not about you. It's about Christ. Do you need to reconcile with somebody that you've sinned against and ask for forgiveness? Do you need to confess and release bitterness against someone who has sinned against you? Do you need to start living more intentionally in your neighborhood and at your work on mission? Do you need, is God calling you to serve in a specific way? Or how about to actually participate in worship instead of spectate about who's singing this time and what song and how loud. and That's another sermon. Is the Lord calling you to rejoice in the Lord for His goodness instead of sulking yourself because you are discontent with something in your life? Is He calling you to go from lazy to diligent? Is He calling you to leave your pride at the cross, humble yourself, and actually make others more important than yourselves? Philippians 2 just as Christ did. Listen to the Spirit. If He's knocking on the door and trying to tell you something, the Spirit's legit. If He's trying to lead you in something, submit. It will be so much better. It might be painful. 
You might get ostracized. You might totally change your life, but it will be eternally worth it. The ministry of the Spirit is good news for us, even though it might make life, according to our human order, more difficult or different. John 14, 15 through 18, it says, Jesus is talking, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is different than what it was before Jesus came. For him to dwell in you this way. And you get to, because you were born in this era, and God revealing himself this way, you get to live in that today. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. We're going to go into a time of response, but let me pray us out and then we'll respond. Lord Jesus, you've made it very clear that faith comes by hearing and by your Spirit. So Lord, I pray for that. Lord, I pray if you're tugging anybody's heart right now that they wouldn't leave and forget that, but that you would push them to have someone next to them or someone up here pray over them in that. Um, And Lord, help us to be faithful like Mary and say, as you wish. Lord, I pray you'd soften our hearts in the right ways and I pray that you would also encourage us knowing that eternal life that you've promised. And that we would live for that day and that we would run this race as if to win it and not just to survive. Let us build your kingdom, God, and not our own. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.